So as the plates are passed, I just want to make a recognition that in this last week, um, we have done a lot of grieving. Um, yesterday, uh, the remembrances of 9-11, if you're older than 24 years old, you, you remember where you were. I'm, 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 I'm thinking that if you're younger than 24, that may be a little uh, fuzzy for you, or you may have just seen things. But uh, collectively, as a, as a nation, we grieve. We grieve the loss of life. We grieve what we went through um, afterwards and how our world uh, has changed. As Lake Avenue Church, we, we grieved again uh, the loss of two saints um, in our midst, Dave Rose and Wendell Watts, their memorials this last week, and those memorials were full of testimony to way that they lived out their lives in our midst, that others were encouraged and point, they pointed to Jesus over and over and over again. They're a blessing to be a part of even for moments for myself. And I think that um, those two things uh, kind of lead us to this, this space of remembering what we just sang, right? I, that, that no longer are we slaves to fear. I, I, I tell you, whenever I sing that song, um, I, I say, God, may that be true. <laughs> because there's so much in this world that continues to, to cause us to fear, and when we sing that song, it's a, it's a statement of what can be true of us. Because we are children of God. Because of the person of Jesus in our lives. And you know what? Sometimes we just need to tell that story. Sometimes we need that story to be told again and again so that we remember our own understanding of who Jesus is. And if you're in this place today and you have not been baptized, we want you to tell that story. In two weeks, we are going to invite you to come and, and watch those of us who are proclaiming Christ as the one who has saved us to be baptized. And if you're in this place and you, you're saying, I haven't, I haven't been baptized yet and I want to be, I want to acknowledge that, I want my community to know that I am a follower of Jesus, I'd invite you um, to follow the instructions that are in your worship folder. You can f- find this stuff online if you are online uh, and come and allow God and this community um, to surround you as you proclaim Jesus in this space. As we step into this moment of of scripture, we're stepping into a new series this this week. The the book of Psalms, we are taking the next four weeks to dive into four different Psalms and hear and understand what God um, has, has for us as a church in the book of Psalms. And the Psalms are, are referred to as, as the hymnal of ancient Israel. It's filled with poetry from a wide number of authors of song lyrics um, without melody. It's full of individual and communal lament, raw pain and emotion, declarations of faith and expressions of hope. The Psalms hold the truth about worship. And that is that our worship, that conversation that goes back and forth with God, is one of honesty and integrity. 
And it's one where we bring our whole selves, the good, the bad, the visible, the invisible, to the altar where we are met and changed by the living God. The Psalms illustrate to us that while we experience life and faith individually, it is never isolated and it is meant to be expressed personally and in community. This is the life of togetherness that we see throughout biblical history and throughout the Psalms. During this four-week series in the book of Psalms, we'll be exploring together life, what it means for us to do life together, and developing skills to face life's ups and downs with one another in worship and in our faith lives as we step out of these walls. And because we're looking through the Psalms, we wanted to hear from our artists. If you look at the Psalms, you'll see the art that is, that is pregnant within the Psalms. And as we're doing that, we have had an opportunity to have a bunch of Lake Avenue composers, people who are in, into and follow um, worship and music. They have put together some melodies and lyrics New songs written for each psalm each week are going to be shared with us in this series. And this week, your composers are Jan Keatsman, Margaret Lee Wang, and Jeremy Rose. And you are going to hear that song soon. Our series is part art, part academy, part encouragement, and part experience, but most of all, we want this series to be about the worship of the Holy One who created this book. Would you pray with me? Spirit of the living God, these words that we dive into are words that you have given us, that we might hear you, that we might see you, that we might see ourselves in our place. God, and that we would go out from here and do what you have called us to do. God, as we pray often, would you make the words that we read come alive and off of the page and in our experience like never before, for we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. With all of that in mind, if you are able, please stand for the reading of God's word. Psalm 8, for the director of music, according to Giddeth, a psalm of David. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. Through the praise of children and infants, you have established a stronghold against your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I considered your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars, which you have set in place, what is mankind that you are mindful of them? Human beings that you care for them. You have made them a little lower than the angels and crowned them with glory and honor. You have made them rulers over the works of your hands. You put everything under their feet, all flocks and herds and the animals of the wild. The birds in the sky, the fish in the sea, all that swims the path of the seas, 
Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Verse 8, or chapter 8, verse 1. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. I'm sure that some of you are thinking of, and possibly even singing in your mind, the Michael W. Smith song, How Majestic Is Your Name, made popular by Sandy Patty. If you're a child of the 80s and you were in church, you cannot get away from it. I apologize for bringing it up. It was a song that my mom loved and I had heard it more often than I wanted to. It was a song that our youth choir sang over and over and over again. It is a really good song. It is the praise of God coming out of verse 1 in Psalm 8. Matter of fact, that song came about 40 years ago this year. Beautiful expression of what we are about to step into, but it really is only about verse one and not the rest of the song. The song really allows us to step into the rest of the psalm. The rest of the psalm is for the director of music, according to Giddeth. A psalm of David. It tells us that this psalm is for the director of music to use in the congregation. It's for the director of music to take and use in moments of worship written by David and according to Giddeth. As much as I can find about Giddeth, it's either an instrument or a type of music or a type of song. We don't know exactly what that is. There's no referent. There's no connection. There are some people that would connect it to a particular instrument and actually a drum-like instrument. It could be a tempo. It could be a pause. It could be a lot of things. But we just don't know what it is and we don't have the music for this song. What's important here is to know that it comes from the perspective of David. Written for his people. In order to understand this psalm, we have to hear it with David's life in the background. This is a communal psalm written out of the musings from David's own life for the congregation. And verse 1 sets the stage for the whole entire psalm. Our understanding of who we are addressing, whom we are supposed to set at the center of the song. We perceive in verse 1, David's amazement and joy. A clear experience and encouragement for the congregation to join him in. Because they had had similar experience. They had been a part of moments in which they can point to the reality that is spoken of in verse 1. More specifically, David clarifies for us the awe 
that overwhelms us because of who God is and the joy we are to experience in God's glory, the awe that we have of God and the joy that we experience in who God is, the awe and the joy, the awe and the joy, Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. What is the chief end of humanity? The chief end of humanity is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The awe and the joy continues to be in our midst. I hope awe and joy for you. I imagine David in a pensive moment connecting with God through nature Remember this boy who was taking care of the flocks before he became a king. Now looking out over the vastness of Israel. Amazed by what God has done. And in that looking out, possibly at night, David's looking and seeing the vastness of stars. Clarity of the greatness of what God has, yet at the same time looking at the people in front of him that he has been given charge over. Recognizing the mystery of God in awe and the responsibility of leading and caring for God's people, the joy that brings him. Oh, verse 1. This this moment in verse 1. And I think for some of us it's difficult to understand if we're not currently experiencing that which David might have been experiencing. So let me see if I can take you there. Here's a photo of the galaxy as it would appear above the Los Angeles sky. This photo was taken from Mount Wilson. It's not a photo that you could actually go and take your really fancy DSLR camera or your iPhone 45 and take. You can't take it because light pollution is so bad we can't get that. But this particular photographer used long exposures and a bunch of math and a whole other things to create what would and what is above the L.A. sky. In this photo, the juxtaposition of the mystery of God and humanity is significant to me. The greatness of what God has put in the sky over the people that God has called us to love. The greatness of the awe of God and, and the things that we don't know and the people whom God has called us to know. The question for us is what causes you to marvel at God Is it nature? Is it moments in worship? Is it God's presence in your world and your life, the way that God moves in you? What is it? More importantly, what is it outside of you that makes you marvel at God? Selah.
Is a, is a thought. It's thought to be this Hebrew word, possibly a bunch of different words. One, uh, salah, um, it means to praise. Another, salal, um, to lift up. Um, another commentator believes uh, salah, um, to pause. We're not sure what the root word of this selah is found throughout Psalms. From Salah comes the belief that Selah is a musical notation signifying rest to the singers or the, or, or the instrumentalists who are performing the psalms. And if this is true, each time a Selah appears in a psalm, the musicians paused. Uh, perhaps they took a breath, maybe to sing a cappella or let the instruments play alone. Perhaps they were even pausing to praise the one about whom the song was speaking of. Perhaps just lifting their hands in worship. And let me be clear, there is no Selah in Psalm 8, but I'm putting one in for us. Because I think as we move through these moments that we just need to pause and allow our minds to be lifted to God by a song that was written for this particular moment. It will be the means by which we reflect and listen It will be the means where we just take a pause to hear what God might be saying to you and I in the midst of all of these words. The psalmist continues. Awe and joy find example in human expression. Out of the mouths of babes, God established a shield that silences enemies and the vengeful. I hope you knew that's where that phrase came from. Out of the mouths of babes, God establishes a bulwark in other spaces. Out of the mouths of babes, God establishes a shield that silences enemies and the vengeful. There is no way to know what story or occurrence David is referring to, but over centuries it has stood and been repeated in other places that we understand that children have this wisdom to speak great truths. It has happened in my own life with my own young daughter who would say amazing things about God that would make me reflect about who God is. Great truths have the ability to set a shield. Truth has the ability to set a shield. Truth has the ability to set a shield so that the enemies of God and the vengeful 
are silenced. God continues to use the small and insignificant things. God continues to use small and insignificant things to reveal the greatness of God's glory. Jesus speaks about it in Matthew eleven twenty five. He says, I praise you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, because you have hidden these things from the wise and learned and revealed them to little children. Again, in Matthew 21, at Palm Sunday, Jesus responds to an unbelieving crowd when they ask him, and he says, they, they ask him, do you hear what these children are saying? Yes, Jesus replied, have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? Paul picks up the idea in 1 Corinthians 1.27. He says, brothers and sisters, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were influential. Not many were noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. God chose the lowly things of this world world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him so that we may give praise and glory and honor to the one who gives us praise and glory and honor. Amen. It's a reality that is carried from a whisper That God gives to Moses. So that Moses might know in a burning bush on a great mountain that God is God and he is not. God's greatness and strength, his mercy and grace are found in insignificant things. David goes on to consider the heavens again. When he considers all that God has made, David has a question. Who am I, God, that you would think about me? Who are we that you would think, would think about us? That you would choose to think about us. Who are we that you would even think to care for us in the midst of the great expanse of all that you've created, of how small we are? Who Are we that you would think to care about us? David leads us to confront this lifelong journey of understanding our place in this world when contrasted to the Almighty God. As one commentator put it, the finite is confronted with the infinite, the transient with the external, or the eternal, excuse me, the perpetual sorrows and anxieties of man who constantly goes astray with peace. Steadiness and order manifested by the heavenly bodies which run their prescribed course. 
I think even harder for us, this sense of great expanse is heightened for you and I when we see discoveries of new things every day on places like Mars. We see and hear new discoveries in places so much further, interstellar space. This is Voyager 2 that is beyond our solar system right now further than any other man-made object. Or even under the ocean. That's a picture of the Pacific black dragon found last year. Brand new species of fish. The question of human significance can be heightened in a world that continues to be beyond our comprehension. And the psalmist questions, what is so special about us? Selah. We are made in your likeness To care for all that you have made We are crowned with your glory To bring your glory, honor, and praise Would you try singing that with me? We are made in your likeness To care for all that you have made We are crowned with your glory To bring you glory, honor, and praise Let our ways Be your ways in all the universe Let our ways Be your ways in all the universe Let our ways Be your ways In all the universe Let our ways Be your ways In all the universe The psalmist questions what is so special about us, but the psalmist answers as well, and the answer is super significant. The answer itself is really, really important, as is our own answer to that question. Because if we say nothing, nothing is so special about us, then we betray God's greatness. If we say everything is great about us, then we betray God's greatness. Somewhere in between those two things, God places us. Our response, as is the psalmist, must be couched in biblical and a theological reality. And by theological, I mean a doctrine of design and purpose within the material world. 
The psalmist leads us to say these three things. We were made a little lower than the angels. We were crowned with glory and honor, and we were given dominion over the works of God's hands. That is a tall order, y'all. And should make us a little awful of what God is doing in us. First, we're made a little lower than the angels. We have to spend time understanding and experiencing and observing the greatness of God so that we can be aware of our insignificance. Why? Because we have this weird tendency as humans to think that we can do it on our own. I'm just talking about myself. I I know y'all aren't like that. Just me. When, When I'm aware of that, we can take awe and be in awe of that as a starting point. The basis for how we go about our lives, when we recognize who we are and where we sit, we take that as a starting point as we move forward into our lives with people and with others. We can begin to see the miracle of the relationship between us as creatures, as creation, you and I, and the creator, God Almighty. That relationship is clear. I, in the midst of who God is, always reflects back to God the greatness. It was not and is not too small a matter for the God of the universe to think of us and even more care for us. And you and I, as we call ourselves believers and have fallen into the person of Jesus because of what he's done on the cross and through his resurrection, we know this. Yet we should never believe and act as though we have equality with God. Jesus goes on and talks about it. The scriptures go on and talk about it more. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews 2-7, there's this response that comes directly out of Psalm 8, where Hebrews 2-6 actually starts with, What is man that you remember him, or the son of man that you are concerned about him? You have made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor. That feels really weird. We are lower than angels, yet crowned with glory and and honor. Paul also speaks about it in Philippians and specifically in Philippians 2. Chapter 5, he says this, or chapter 2, verse 5, he says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance of as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, so that you and I would know that God thinks about and cares for us. We were made a little lower than the angels. 
Second, we are crowned with glory and honor. This is not a song of praise for the greatness of humanity. We were, we were crowned with glory and honor. We were crowned with glory and honor is a hard thing to hold on to. Our human value is a gift of God. Actually, in the Old Testament, the terms glory and honor, they belong to God alone. Like nothing else has glory and honor inherently. We were crowned, we were given, we were gifted glory and honor. Think about it. If you're crowned something, it rests on your head. And just as easily as it rests on your head, it can be removed. But it goes deeper than that. God dignifies our humanity by gifting us glory and honor. It is the gift found in Genesis 1. It is the image of God. The gift of the Imago Dei provides the glory and honor. It is not, nor will it ever be, because of what you and I do inside these walls or outside It is only because God has purposed it so from the beginning of time that we as humans, because we call ourselves humans, allow God to be in us because God said that it was true. Y'all, we don't have any inherent glory save what God has given us. The image of God is personal. And it requires that we are connected to others. It's when we claim the image as our own and we exercise freedom that we participate in the sin that caused the fall. Let me put it another way. No gift that you have is for you. The gift that you have been given in the person of Jesus is salvation. We have been given God's own self. That's enough for you. That's enough for us. Anything beyond that is not for you. It is for others. So that they might see the gift, that they might point to Jesus, that they might receive Jesus and know God for themselves and receive gifts and give them out again. No gift, not one, not one thing you have is for you. In this section is where we hear what theologian David Cairns calls the echo of Eden. That even in the midst of sin and mortality, here is a promise of what will be. The image of God, the glory and honor of God is the reflection of God's own glory that returns to God. Let me say that again. The image of God, the glory and honor of God in us is the reflection of God's own glory that returns to God. 
The image of God is essential to humanity. You can't be a human without it. And we bear this image despite the contradiction that sin brings in our midst. It is what we humbly carry and give back to God. We have to humbly carry it. It's the, it's the story of, of the little boy who was so excited because he was invited to, to carry the ring. In the wedding. He was invited to do so and was so excited about this role that he had. And as he came around the corner at the back of the aisle and everybody was, was there and he was like, this is exciting. This is the best thing ever. He, gra- he, has, the, he has the rings on the, on the pillow and he starts walking down the aisle. And as he's walking down the aisle, he starts to turn to people and go, rawr, rawr. And people did exactly what you were doing. They started laughing and kind of, and so he gets halfway down the aisle and he's rawr, rawr. And he turns and he runs to his mom at the very end and he starts crying. He starts crying and, and mom says, honey, what is, what is wrong? She says, why are they laughing at me? I'm just the ring bearer. I know, right? (laughs) Y'all, sometimes sometimes we're ring bears and we're image bears and we hurt one another deeply when we take the image of God and lord it over people And push people around because we think we know better. And we don't carry the image as the gift as it is to give back to the bridegroom. It's for moments like that, the things that we do and the things that we have been a part of, that we have to repent. God doesn't need us to push other people around so that they might believe in him. The gift of the image is something that we bear, but we bear it with open hands, not big outstretched arms. The psalmist goes on. That in spite of our insignificant, God bestows on us because of the image of God in us, the governance to each, to the earth, to us as humans, to be the image bearers, excuse me. God bestows on us the governance of the earth, the governance through the image of God. Thus, you and I are commissioned into response. We are commissioned into responding and acting according to God's likeness, principles, and presence. The image of God in us requires that we act in God's likeness, in God's principles, and in God's presence. 
It is here where we find our purpose. It's not in the heavens. We are creatures made for God's creation. We find our place among creation. We cannot lose sight of the reality of our mutual dependence, not just with each other, but with all of creation. The implications are significant when it comes to our greater ecology. In organisms, in animals, and humans, all have a shared ecology and interest, but only one of us has responsibility. So what do we need to care for? As the psalmist says, the work of God's hands. That's a lot of stuff, y'all. We must care for the planet. And I know I don't have much to say about that, but some of y'all in this room might. Thank you. We must care for our planet. The echo of Eden should be a reminder enough that all creatures were in subject to and in harmony with humanity. In the small things that you and I do in this world, whether it's using plastic and throwing it away, or the large things that affect our ecology in big ways, we have to think about and care for the earth like God cares for us. Even more, we must, we must, we must care for each other. And sadly, the sinful and repugnant human history and the history of humans, inhumanity to humans, is an affront to our Creator. It's an insult to the gift of the Imago Dei and an outrage to the gospel. When we hurt one another, we destroy ourselves. And I say that specifically. When we hurt one another, we destroy ourselves. This gospel is individual and corporate. We cannot exert our power and strength through economic, political, or systemic means inside or outside the church. The divine character will not be seen in how much pressure we can wield over others who bear the imago. It has been seen in Christ as the love of God persevering through stress, pain, fear, humility in service of the divine purpose. You and I have to figure out how to love one another through the stress, through the pain, through the fear, so that we might serve God in this place. Yet we have a difficult time consistently bowing before the great mystery of Christ in us. We have a difficult time doing that all the time. I think in moments like this where we're in worship, we can do that. We're able to settle, but 
Other times it's really hard. We tend to address our commission as stewards either through human power and determinism or we throw up our hands and say, well, I'm not sure and we have this kind of predestined apathy. Well, God will take care of it. I don't know. It's for this reason that this image has to exist. The Milky Way galaxy again. A setting, an understanding of who we are in awe of God's people. And in the foreground, if you don't recognize it, is a memorial. It's a memorial that's only a few hours away from here. It's a memorial to those who were in enslaved in encampments during World War II at Manzanar. Japanese were taken there and allowed to be there so that we did feel more safe. This is a painful image because the glory of God standing above the pain that we cause should cause us to repent. Should cause us to seek reconciliation. Should cause us to sit back and say, Lord, let my ways be your ways. It's through repentance and reconciliation through Christ that we get moved to restoration as a people. And when we are restored, we are unified. And when we are unified, we have the power and might to express God's glory and gospel in the world. You know, you could put any memorial there. The awe of God in front of the relationships you've had that have gone awry. The awe of God in front of things that cause us pain. The awe of God in the midst of the things that don't represent who God is. We can put whatever we need to there, but our response will always be repentance because God has called us to greater things. Selah. We are made in your likeness To care for all that you have made We are crowned with your glory To bring you glory, honor, and praise Let our ways Be your ways in all the universe let our ways be your ways in all the universe.
At the end of the psalm, David returns to where he began. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. I have words for this, but I want to rely on the words of Walter Brueggemann. At its center is an affirmation of human power and authority. At its boundaries are affirmations of praise to God. The center, verse 5, and the boundaries, verses 1 and 9, must be read together. Either taken alone will miss the point. Human power that reflects Imago Dei is always bounded by and surrounded by divine praise. Doxology gives dominion its context and legitimacy. The two must be held together. Praise of God without human authority is abdication and leaving it all to God, which the psalm does not urge. But to use human power without the context of praise of God is to be profane human regency over creation and so usurp more than has been granted. Human persons, you and I, are to rule, but we will not receive the ultimate loyalty of creation. Such loyalty and our worship must be directed only to God. The art of Psalm 8 is such that no power that I have spoken about can be talked about without understanding that Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all of us. Selah. Church, I'm going to lead us from up here on the screen as we respond to the message. And I want to teach you this new song that we wrote. I'll teach you the whole song. So it declares God's attributes, that we worship Him for all of who He is. But the main prayer here of this song is that our ways would be like His ways. And so let's make that our prayer as we respond today. You are creator and ruler and mighty You are majestic and awesome and holy Who are we? That you are mindful Who are we? Try singing that with me You are creator and ruler and mighty You are majestic and awesome and holy Who are we? You are mindful, who are we? Now sing this. You are eternal and righteous and powerful. You are wise, you are true and unshakable. Who are we that we are cared for? Who are we? Here's the part you know. We are made in your life. To care for all that you have made 
We are crowned with your glory to bring you glory, honor, and praise. Let our ways be your ways in all the universe. Let our ways be your ways in all the universe. You are good, you are just, you are faithful. You are gracious and loving and merciful. Who are we to be made like you? Who are we? We are made. We are made in your likeness to care for all that you have made. We are crowned with your glory to bring you glory, honor, and praise. Let our ways be your ways in all the universe. Let our ways be your ways in all the universe. Would you try singing this? Let all the earth declare your majesty. Let all our works declaim your glory and let everything that moves and all we do bring praise and honor, Lord, to you. Let all the earth declare your majesty. Let all our works proclaim your glory and let everything that moves and all we do Bring praise and honor, Lord, to sing it again. Let all the earth declare your majesty. Let all our works proclaim your glory. And let everything that moves all we do. Bring praise and honor, Lord, to you. Bring praise and honor, Lord, to you. Praise and honor, let our ways be your ways in all the universe. Let our ways be your ways in all the universe. Let our ways be your ways in all. Let our ways be your ways in all the universe. I am so grateful for the many musicians and wonderful artists that we get to work with here to help us understand and enter into what God has done for us. If you are here and you recognize you brought some things with you that you need us to walk with you in, my left, your right, will be some folks to pray with you 
so that you might hear God's word in your life, that you might have folks to walk with you. Reminder that if you are a grandparent and you want more resources by which to hang out with your grandkids and help walk with them in their ways, there's information in the lobby for you. And in two weeks, if you want to stand in the midst of this congregation and declare your faith, declare your following of Jesus, baptism classes, find that information in our worship folder or online. Would you stand for the benediction? May the God of grace and mercy and peace give you a sense of awe so that you would be reminded of where you stand in this world and a sense of joy so that you might have energy to go out and allow your ways to be God's ways in all of the universe. Amen and amen. Go in peace.